Good afternoon. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, April 18th. I'm Rachel Cassandra. Petersburg's middle and high school principal, Ambler Moss, is resigning from his position at the end of his contract in June. He's been at the school for just one year. He and administrative leaders decided mutually not to renew his contract. Moss has worked in school administrations internationally for 20 years, mostly as a principal. He's worked in Southern California, Guatemala, and Myanmar. He spoke with KFSK about his work at the school and his perspective after working for two decades in education. Moss says he's going to miss living in Petersburg. This is a really wonderful community that really um, has a lot of really favorable elements of lifestyle. The first is waking up to such you know natural, spectacular, scenic beauty every single day. You'll never get fish as good as you get it here. I love it here. It's it's a terrific place, and I'm really glad that I uh, took the move to to come up here. And I know you've been a principal really all over the world. So, do you have any insight that you want to share from those experiences? because I'm old and been doing this for a really long time, I've seen what's changed in public schools in the country. Uh, when I began my career, there was more of an emphasis on the teaching and learning aspect of being an educator, whether you're a teacher or whether you're an administrator. And I think what's happened little by little over time, but is now in full mode now, is that public schools have now become places of social work more than to some extent than education itself, than the content that you teach. This is not just Petersburg. This is everywhere. Yeah. So can you give us maybe a few examples of specific things that you see teachers dealing with these days that's different? From when you started? I think there's an over-reliance on technology. I think obviously we have to embrace it. We lose some of the classroom experiences that create really great and compelling, make that make school the place to be. There's a lot of everybody's in their own bubble doing their own work on their own device and there isn't sort of this shared experience of a, a classroom conversation. And they exist. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's not the same. The other one that clearly is is if we don't sort of gamify everything, there's no uh, draw for the kids. Everything has to be like some sort of game. There isn't a sense of, you know, work ethic. Can you talk about a couple of things that you've seen gamified? Well, there's like these different apps and different, um, you know, things that you can use, computer programs, websites that take the information that you're learning in the school environment and creating some sort of game out of it. Now, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not putting that down. What I am saying is, is that there's perhaps an over-reliance and somehow if you don't do that, you sort of lose the kids. Do you have any reflections after being here, you know, for the better part of a year on education in Alaska? And- yeah, and, and again, it's not just Alaska, but specific, even more specific to Petersburg, I would say. I would want to see if I were staying longer than just this year, what I would have wanted to see is uh, evolution towards providing the different communities within our community. Like, for example, if, if somebody wants to go straight to a trade and, and instead of going to college, that we have a really specific course of study for that. We don't. I think we have a very general course of study which doesn't serve the aspirations and goals of all of our communities equally. I think we could be doing a lot more for our high-performing students that we're not doing, and I think we could meet the students who are reluctant to be in high school in the first place. We could be doing more to serve them with a more specific course of study 
that meets their needs, and we're not doing that, and I think that's what we need to do to make it more relevant for them. And so what would that require someone to basically do, you know, some months of curriculum design and then new courses? All of the above. Certainly new courses, for example. What about math? What would you necessarily need to take Algebra 2 or or statistics or calculus if you're not going to go to college, to university, and you're going straight to a trade that there's more practical math? Same with English. I'm not sure that, you know, students who are going into the fishing industry necessarily need to read the all the great works of Western civilization, all that stuff. I'm not sure that's necessary. I'm, I, I think we lose a lot of people because we try to stick to some game plan of a paradigm that has outlived its utility. And what we're doing now is we're getting people not engaged, and then we wonder why they're not engaged. Well, the answer is is because we're not giving them something that means something to them. Okay, wonderful. Um, any last thoughts about Petersburg, leaving Petersburg, working at the schools here? There's wonderful teachers, wonderful students, wonderful families in the community. I've enjoyed being around here and working with all these folks closely. And I'm, I'm sorry to be leaving, but it's, but it's, uh, I, I understand what the, based on what the, the priorities are here, that there probably is somebody who's more adept to, the circumstance here, the situation here than I am. So I'm perfectly happy to be a steward. We're all in the end just stewards of what we do and we pass it on and we all move on eventually anyway, right? So um, mine just happens to be sooner. That was Petersburg's Middle and High School principal, Ambler Moss, speaking with KFSK. Moss is resigning from his position in June after one year in Petersburg. Moss says he and his wife will likely take some time to travel and visit family after his term ends. The Petersburg School District is advertising for the position for next year. The Juneau School District and its teachers union reached a tentative collective bargaining agreement Friday night. The teacher's previous contract expired last June. One major concern for the union was the district's proposed cuts to monthly contributions to health premiums. Juno Education Association President Chris Heideman says the details of the tentative agreement will be made public once it's sent to union members later this week. Then members will vote on whether to ratify it. We feel like there are enough wins in this contract that that members should get a chance to voice their opinions on it. Last week, the union directed teachers to work only during paid hours and not take on any extra duties before and after school. I'm pretty convinced that that pressure was part of the reason why we were able to move to a tentative settlement so quickly. Superintendent Bridget Weiss says she hopes teachers enter the summer with a sense of closure and higher morale. We were highly motivated like the union was to get this to this point. So um, we really value the work that teachers have done. Once union members ratify the contract, a school board vote will follow. Content warning for this next story. It contains graphic descriptions of violence and sexual assault and may not be suitable for all listeners. A Homer man has been arrested and charged for allegedly attacking, strangling, and sexually assaulting a woman, leaving a local bar last weekend in the parking lot of Homer City Hall. Kareen Smith reports from Homer. 
Homer resident Charles Torzio, age 40, was arrested by Homer police officers and has been charged with five counts of felony sexual assault, including strangulation of a victim until she was unconscious, and two counts of assault for intentional injury, according to court documents. In the early hours of Saturday, April 8th, at approximately 2 a.m., the Homer Police Department received a 911 call from a woman who reported she had just been sexually assaulted in the Homer City Hall parking lot, according to charging documents. The woman is not identified in accordance with Alaska state law to protect victims' privacy. When officers arrived, she said she had just been attacked thrown to the ground, strangled until unconscious, and sexually assaulted. She said she passed out, and when she woke up, the attacker was gone, and she called 911. Officers observed drag marks in the dirt and footprints on a nearby car. The woman told officers she may have been drugged, according to court documents. As officers were speaking with her, a taxi pulled into the parking lot. A male in the back seat, later identified as Charles Torzio, got out. The victim told officers, quote, that's him. She was then transported to South Peninsula Hospital for medical evaluation and treatment for her injuries. Officers spoke with Torzio, who claimed the sexual encounter was consensual and said he had returned to the parking lot to make sure she was okay, according to court documents. Officers report he was visibly intoxicated and disheveled. He agreed to a search where they found a container that appeared to have a white powder residue, but Torzio denied having prescriptions or controlled substances in his possession. The container was collected as evidence. He was taken into custody, and Homer police are completing a forensic investigation. Homer Police Chief Mark Robel. This is a very unfortunate case, one we hate to see happen in Homer or anywhere in, in, our, in our world, of course. Um, it involved a, a high level of violence uh, against a, a woman victim here in Homer, and uh, we're sad that it happened. We're investigating it fully. Robel says Homer is a tight-knit community and law enforcement is focused on protecting the survivors' privacy and well-being. He urged the public to do the same. We certainly sympathize with the victim as she recovers and tries to recover rather from this, this horrible crime. Well, I realize that some folks out in the community might be able to uh, identify her or somehow learn her identity. And we would urge that everyone respect her privacy as she's going through this difficult time. Robo says this type of violent assault is rare for Homer, but residents should remain aware. This is a, a very rare crime for Homer. It, it, it has not happened frequently by any means. It's, again, it's very rare, unusual occurrence here. Um, but it just goes to show that all people need to be very careful of their surroundings and, and who they're with um, and, and what they're doing, and especially take extra caution if they've uh, been in that bar scene and, and maybe had a drink or two and, and lose have lost some of their inhibitions. And people should watch out for each other. It's wise to, uh, to always go out with friends and, and never let your guard down. Torzio's bail was set at $10,000. On Friday, he posted bond and was released under house arrest with an ankle monitor in the custody of his mother. Torzio's next court date is April 19th at Kenai Superior Court. In Homer, I'm Corinne Smith.
The world's largest flying salmon took its final swim upstream Monday. Sage Smiley went to greet Alaska Airlines Salmon 30 Salmon in Wrangell on its ceremonial last flight. Salmon 30 Salmon 2, a 91,000-pound plane painted with a 129-foot king salmon design, flew from Seattle through southeast. The route, known as the Milk Run, stopped in Ketchikan, Wrangell, Petersburg, Juneau, and finally on to its natal runway in Anchorage, where the design was first unveiled. Travelers boarding the flight received shirts, hats, and other swag, including a free airline ticket, according to airline spokesperson Tim Thompson, who was on the flight. Thompson said passengers included 30 Alaska Airlines employees, who were selected from more than 800 who applied for the opportunity to ride on the ceremonial flight. Thompson clarified the flying salmon may still be in use for another few days, but that this was its ceremonial last flight and it will be repainted soon. In a written statement Monday, Alaska Airlines said it looks forward to unveiling an incredible new design soon that, quote, celebrates the culture and people of Alaska and our connection to the places we fly. Photojournalist Brandon Ferris first announced the retirement of the giant salmon on Twitter in late February, citing an internal company post. Alaska Airlines then confirmed to the Alaska Beacon in late February that the Salmon 30 Salmon 2 jet would fly its final ceremonial flight before being repainted. The news came as a blow to some aviation enthusiasts who circulated a petition that garnered more than 2,000 signatures to save the intricately painted livery. Trident Seafoods bid goodbye to the salmon in a Facebook post just as it began its final flight Monday, saying the plane has been a visual commitment to seafood sustainability and responsible fishing practices. Alaska Airlines debuted a salmon-painted plane in 2005 with the first rendition of the Salmon 30 Salmon. The name for the design came from an incident in the 1980s when a bald eagle dropped a salmon on an Alaska Airlines flight. The original fish design was painted over in 2011, and the airline debuted a new Salmon 30 Salmon 2 design in 2012. The updated design was produced in partnership with the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute, which promotes Alaska seafood products worldwide. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Rory Watt is resigning as Juno's city manager at the end of September. Watt has been city manager for seven years. During that time, Juno experienced rapid growth in tourism, but also saw a significant interruption to that industry by the pandemic. Watt has worked for the city for 30 years total. In a letter to the Juno Assembly sent on Wednesday, he said it was time for him to, quote, pursue other life interests. He said the city's human resources director and deputy manager will help the assembly hire a new manager. Watt's resignation comes nearly two months after the city's finance director, Jeff Rogers, announced he would leave his post. I'm Rachel Cassandra for KFSK.